Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are so glad that you're here today. We are in a series entitled, You Asked For It. If you have not been here, I know this looks really weird. Uh, We're setting up the Supreme Court up here. Uh, It's nothing like that. What we're doing is uh, we've just asked our pastors to be prepared for the last three weeks to answer questions that you guys turned in for an entire month leading up to this series. So we took those uh, messages, I'm sorry, those questions, and we turned them into messages over the last few weeks. And what we did is we broke them into different categories, and we tried to separate them out. The first week we covered God, the Bible. Uh, Last week we talked about church and relationships. Today uh, we're hitting on some more relational stuff. We're hitting on home and life. And so we're going to do some real quick questions, try to get the answers. Each pastor has has been asked to cover a certain topic, and so they've uh, hopefully prepared for this, and so we're ready to go today. As we've said every week, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant. It's just a lot of information in a short amount of time, but the idea was we were just trying to use this series to answer the questions that you guys had regarding church, God, faith, you know, anything that you struggle with or you're curious about, and uh, so we hope that we're doing a good job of that. Uh, We're going to try and do a a great job today, and so bear with us. This is going to be really fast and furious, but uh, hopefully you're ready and take notes as we go. And uh, here we go. Uh, you asked for it. So the first question today actually goes to Titus, and it's a, it's a big, big topical question. How do I understand God's purpose and will for my life? Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So someone, I'm trying to address several different aspects of of questions that kind of fall under this heading. If you haven't started to figure out, that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, But one of the questions was, why is it so hard for all of humanity to follow the path Jesus laid before us? And the answer is because most people, according to Matthew 7, aren't even trying They're not even trying, that most people don't uh, have access to the grace or the power that it would take uh, to follow that path, that is, until they meet Jesus and follow him. So um, I opened with that concept because um, everything that I'm about to share as part of this, this question and answer is for believers, people who are trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, all right? Uh, If you don't recall a point in your life where you have turned from sin and accepted Christ as your Savior, um, then that's the first step for you, all right? If you're out there asking that question, what's God's purpose and will for my life, that's the first step for you uh, if if you're not uh, believing in Christ right now. For those who have and are trusting Christ in Jesus for salvation and in life, the rest of this is for you. So I'll start by sharing a few Uh, references from Scripture just to kind of guide our overall thinking on this concept of God's purpose for our life. Obviously, we know that it's to glorify God, right? But let's put a little bit of meat on 
on uh, those bones right there. I'm going to read from 1 Peter 2 uh, and verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then 2 Corinthians 5. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he, this is the phrase that I want you to, to latch on to. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. So your life purpose, really, at the core, is summed up in these two passages. You're called out as a priest, and you're called with the same ministry that, that Christ came to earth for, the ministry of reconciliation. And uh, I would be so bold as to say that until you get that figured out, you're not going to be satisfied in, in understanding God's purpose for your life. So there's a lot of, for every person in this room, there's probably an occupation or, a, or a, um, you know, some kind of specific skill set or something that's, that's represented here in this room. And whatever your occupation is, you have to put priest and reconciler before that. All right? So if you're a doctor, first you're a priest. You're a priest who happens to be a doctor. If you're a plumber, you're a priest who happens to function as a plumber. If you're a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, <laughs> all those things, you're a priest first. You're a conduit for people to meet with God. Until you figure that out, um, things are going to always seem like, it's probably always going to feel like you're in a rat race. And I'll sum up uh, will, because I know I'm over my time, <clears throat> but the will of God in your life, I'll sum up with these phrases, okay, and, and we'll discuss this a little bit, but <clears throat> in order to follow the will of God in the big things, because there were a lot of questions about what do I do with the big, how do I know God's will in the big decisions? In order to follow the will of God in the big things, you must follow the will of God in the small things. To be, here's another way of saying that, to be convinced of the subjective will of God, because I would say a lot of our big decisions, that's kind of a Western idea. That's very much a first world idea to, to decide whether I'm going to work here or in the Bahamas, right? That's, that's something that we deal with that the rest of the world in creation doesn't necessarily get the, the advantage of. So to be convinced of the subjective will of God, first you must follow the objective will of God. So are you reading your Bible? Are you, are you living out the, the commands that God has made so super clear, so super clear, so that as you're faithful in those things, the big things are going to start to take care of themselves? You guys have any thoughts on that? Nope. All right, second question goes to Hunter. Uh, it says, uh, and we have a lot of questions around this one. So uh, we, we boiled it down to this question. How do you weather the storms of life? And then this had to do with a lot of questions regarding loss, depression, anxiety, heartbreak, betrayal, etc. All right, so let me say before I even jump into the answer that there's no possible way to answer this question sensitive, sensitively. Uh, with the amount of time that, that we're trying to fit all of this in. So uh, none of my answers are meant to, like, frustrate or uh, I think all of us, this is true for all of us, none of us mean to frustrate or 
uh, infuriate anybody. If you have questions, please come up and talk to us. We hang out after service. We're all willing to talk about any of the things that we answer. But that being said, I'm also uh, going to talk about Matthew chapter 7. Um, there's a story at the end of the chapter that talks about the wise and the foolish builder. And most of us know the story. Um, and it goes just very simply, two people are building their homes. One person builds their house on sand. And when the wind and waves of life crash up against the house, the, the frustrations of life crash up against the house, it falls. It gets destroyed. Versus the man, the wise builder, who builds his house on the rock. Uh, and that person, when the winds and wave of life come up against his house, his house stands firm. And so we have to kind of do a little bit of deciphering on what each of the things mean. So obviously, uh, the wind and waves of life is things like depression, anxiety, heartbreak, betrayal, loss. These are the problems that we face in our everyday life. Those things will shake our life. It doesn't say that the, the wise man's house wasn't hit by that. So I view that as very simply, just because we're Christian doesn't mean we're not going to come across trials. Just because we're following God does not mean we're going to avoid the winds and wave of life. Secondly, uh, the rock and the sand. Um, we had a lot of fun. We talked about this uh, in the student ministry for uh, the last few weeks, actually. Um, and, and one of the things I noted is that sand is really anything that is not solid, right? It's something that is not God's word. And if we look at everything on our on our world, at an atomic level, technically everything's moving. There's nothing in this world that is completely 100% stagnant. The reason we can stand on ground is just because it's moving a lot slower than we move, right, on an atomic level. So really, everything on this earth is in some form moving. So what is the rock that is not moving? What is the thing that's not moving? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 that it's his word. If we build our life on the truth, on the absolute truth that God says then all of a sudden we have what I just like to call perspective, right? Um, and, and what I mean by this is simply when something happens in your life, and, and I'll use myself as an example here, when we found out about the health issues that were going on, it wasn't as big a deal to me as it might have been to somebody else because I know there's life after this. Eventually when I die, I'm going to get a body that's perfect and I'm not going to have to deal with this. Where somebody else who gets the same news that I got would immediately crash. Because if they'd built their life on the expectation that they were going to be healthy and be able to take care of their family forever and that nothing was going to go wrong, man, they get, like, everything is shaken. If you build your life on anything like your job, your spouse, your relationships in your life, the things that you do well, uh, how many times have we seen an athlete just go off the deep end when all of a sudden he can't play his sport anymore? Like, when we lose that thing that we built our identity around, or when that identity is shaken, we lose it all, because that perspective, that eternal perspective, is gone. Now, just a quick word to say that if we are mentally prone, or genetically or mentally conditioned for depression, man, that's, that's a little bit of a different story, but it doesn't make what I said untrue. We still have to build our life on Christ. Whereas some people might deal with other addictions and frustrations, maybe yours is depression. Maybe yours is frustration or anger. But that doesn't make what I said less true. It just means that you have to spend all that much more time making sure your foundation is solid. I was also going to add to that that it, that metaphor of building on the sand, um, just living in Belize and doing some construction on sand, it's super easy. 
All right, so the, the things that Hunter was listing off that, that we tend to want to build our identity or our, our foundation on, our, our spouse, our, our job, security, those types of things, um, it's easy, and just be warned by that. It's easy to do that, but, man, the waves come up, and they're gone. They're just gone at that point. Like your foundation that you thought you had just gets washed away. Firsthand experience there in, like, real life with sand. And something real quick, you, you know, as Hunter kind of talked about for a moment, there are some times that heading towards a medical solution or getting counseling is a great thing too. It's not the final solution, but it may be a tool that you need. So you're no less spiritual if you need to go ahead and take care of something like that. It may be the base that you need so that you can grow in your faith and then your prayers may be answered and that may be taken away. All right, next question goes to Ryan. It says, it seems, uh, it seems I pray and pray, but don't get an answer. Why? I know God's time isn't our time, but years and years, really, it makes you lose some faith. And so this is a, a serious question that is somebody's really struggling with because uh, not hearing from God. And so, First off, I'd say you're not alone. Um, you know, this question came in multiple times, and we've tried to um, actually answer this in various forms over the past couple weeks as well. We've touched on it a little bit, but uh, one of the things I want to say is and, and reiterate is that as we spend more time with our Creator, much like Titus is talking about and, and even Hunter already this morning, the more we spend in God's Word, the more we're praying, the more we become like God. And what I mean by that is that God continually changes our hearts, our minds, and even our prayers to reflect that that would then be his heart, his mind, and his prayer. And a, and a few things that, I, um, that I'd like to do is even elaborate a little more on how that works. And, of course, I'll use some scripture as examples here. But when we're praying for certain things, oftentimes we get answers. Sometimes it's no, but oftentimes it's something that is unexpected. It's something that we're not even looking for. So I'd like to give a few examples. Um, think of a scenario where you ask God to help you love your neighbor as yourself. And that's found in Mark 12. Sometimes those answers would uh, force us to give unexpected attention to a neighbor whom we not, might not put into that category. So quite possibly God's going to give you a neighbor that's extremely difficult to deal with. But precisely for good reason, because if it was easy, then, then it's not allowing us to grow in our relationship with Christ. Another example would be we find ourselves asking for greater wisdom and discernment. Maybe the answers look like a steady stream of mind-bending, confusing answers that are difficult to understand and work through because our powers of discernment are trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And we find this in Hebrews 5 where it tells us that as we're, again, pursuing that relationship with Christ, we're going to find ways or we're going to be presented with ways that we have to discern good from evil. Um, what if we ask ourselves or find ourselves asking God to increase our faith? It's entirely plausible that we'll be put into situations where we discover that our perceptions are not trustworthy and I think that we can all agree on that. Very often our perceptions um, are misguided, but our perceptions are not trustworthy enough, and we are forced to trust God's promises. For we walk by faith, not by sight. God asks us to live in faith in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 is where you'll find that. Also, if you find yourselves asking God to live a, worthy, a life worthy of the Lord, that's in Colossians 1.10, we're likely to receive answers that land us in situations that require more humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. So again, sometimes these answers are going to come that don't look like the answers we want. 
And I think that's at the basic core of it. Um, let me give you one that's kind of my mic drop. Matthew 26, 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Even our creator didn't want to have to endure the cross. And he, was, he received an answer that was uncomfortable. Um, so, so in that, Mike said it a couple weeks ago. God desires our holiness over our happiness. And so we have to be able to, we have to put that rubric in play when it comes to what we're asking in prayer. Remembering that there's going to be prayers at times that we feel are aligned with God's, um, God's will. So, for example, if I've been praying for my wife who's not a believer and I don't see it coming to fruition. We have to also remember that there's a balance there with God's sovereignty and, God, and our free will. That that human being has to make that decision on their own to come to that conclusion that they need God. So maybe our prayers need to change. God, put people in that person's life that would help them to know you more by the actions that they have, by the words that they speak, but just by the life that they live, that they would see that this thing called Christianity is real. And also just to clarify that Amy is a Christian. <laughs> I still pray for her. Just, just to add something real quick to what Ryan said, I, I tend to look at it as if God's not answering your prayers, it's probably for a couple of reasons. One, you're not, in, you're not praying for something that's in his will or his direction, right? So you got to look at that. Two, as he said, you may be praying for somebody else to make a choice, and God's not going to force somebody over their free will to do that. Three, it just may not be the right time. It may just not be the time at this moment for God to go ahead and pull that together. And then the fourth may be, you may not be ready for it. You're praying for something that you're spiritually not quite there, which is a lot of what Ryan was saying. God's really caring about developing you. Uh, I am watching kind of the Ask Anything phone number. If you guys do miraculously have service, I am kind of checking that. Um, and we did get a question. Uh, and if we haven't answered your question, we don't answer your question right now. Keep in mind that we try to get to those after we're done on stage each week. But the question is... Uh, Basically, from how I understand it, if that's the case, should we put ourselves in the path of our biggest temptation to grow? Um, and I would say no. 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 Um, I never pray for humility. I, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> There's already plenty of op opportunities for that. <laughs> so, I wasn't going to say that to you, man. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to be that guy. Um, no. If... If we're following Jesus honestly and we're wanting to grow, then we should be growing closer to him. If God brings that situation upon you, man, call somebody immediately. I don't, I don't want to be in the path of my biggest temptations um, because it's hard. I mean, nobody wants that. But pray for God, not necessarily to remove that, but to grow closer to him. Because if you're growing closer to God, then honestly, most of the temptations that are just random in our life will probably fall back away from us. Would you guys kind of agree with that? Yes. All right. Fourth question. Why does it seem that Satan is more present and active in the world than God is? All right. Um, you know, much of what we think about, about angels and demons and Satan and everything has more to do with movies and TV than it does the Bible. So let me just kind of debunk a couple quick myths here. And if, and if you give me a little bit of leeway, I need to talk about angels first just for a moment, Okay. So angels are created beings. Um, they were created by God to be messengers for him. They serve a purpose for him, and that purpose is to glorify him and point, help us get pointed towards him. 
okay? Um, angels are not God. So there's a bunch of attributes sometimes we give angels that just aren't there, right? They're not all-knowing. They're not all-powerful. They're not everywhere at all times. They are on the same timeline that we are versus God, okay? So there's some quick things. And the other thing is angels are not people who have died, who have gone, and have earned their wings, right? When you hear a bell ring, it's not an angel getting his wings, sorry, okay? What? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk later. Yep. All right, now, now talking about our enemy, uh, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, he's got a number of names. Just know he was an angel. He was actually the top angel for a while, and God allowed angels to have free will just like he gives us. And Satan, in his pride, decided he wanted to be God. He thought he could do a better job, and he rebelled against God, and he lost. And with him, a third of the angels of heaven who also rebelled with him, they were all put down on earth, and they're kind of bound. They're waiting. They, um, you know, his whole job is it's the misery loves company thing. He wants us not to be looking at God, and he will do whatever he can to do that, to take our focus off of who God is and to give our lives and our faith to God. So um, Satan's got a lot of different strategies he uses. But again, remember, he's an angel. He's not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He can't read your mind. He's not in all places at all time. He's on the same timeline as, as us. So when we say the Satan, Satan can do a bunch of things, we're giving him far more credit than he actually deserves. Okay, so that's the, one of the quick things. Um, again, he's a deceiver and a liar. And he's going to do everything he can to make it look like he's winning. But at the same time, he knows he's in the end game. He's playing defense. He's playing a cover two. Cover two doesn't work, right? So he knows he's going to lose. But in the meantime, he's doing all he can. He's kicking and screaming and everything. He needs to be taken seriously. But if you're a believer, you don't have to fear him. Christ has already defeated him. And he is, is not worth it. Can't do it. Um, Sometimes he changes his strategy. You know, people talk about, like, other places in the world. Uh, they, they hear about demon possessions. They hear about these pretty kind of, in some ways, spectacular things that happen in the mission field. In other places in the world, people are spiritually awake. They look to the spirit world for a lot of things. And so in those realms, Satan's strategy is to look more powerful than God. He wants people to think that he is the one and that God has no power at all. In our culture... Um, we're spiritually asleep. We, we grab on to little things. We want to keep God on the side. You know, sometimes it's Sunday morning. Sometimes it's not even that. It's just kind of this side thing and this kind of feel-good theology. And so he wants to keep us asleep. So a lot of the things that you hear about in the, the faraway places of the world, um, again, kind of the demon possessions and some of those things, they still happen. They were in the Bible. They're in the New Testament. They're still happening today. We don't see it in this culture because if that was to happen, people would wake up. People would suddenly say, there is a spiritual realm to this whole thing. And so he doesn't want that. So instead, he kind of does these half-truths. 99% true with a little tiny tweak at the end. And because of that, it keeps us from him, or from God. All right, next question uh, is mine. It, it just simply asks... Uh, how do you handle one-way conversations slash relationships? Uh, meaning others don't follow through, reply back, reach out, etc. despite how much you will do for them. 
And so we're having to read into this question a little bit. There were several like this that had to do with um, some difficult relationships. And the first thing I would, it's kind of a, a, an odd question because the first thing I would say is that if it's a one-way, it's not really a conversation or relationships, uh, a relationship because the definition of a conversation or relationship has to do with two or more people. And if it's only one way, uh, you're kind of missing out on that conversation or that relationship. It's not really happening. Uh, and then the other question that I had is, is who are we talking about here? Are we talking about somebody who's critical, uh, somebody who's like overly needy, uh, somebody who's a manipulator, somebody who's hypocritical? Uh, you know, what, what is the situation there? And then the other thing to play on what we talked about last week is what's the relationship? Is it somebody at work or is it somebody that you're married to? Because that can change everything in that point. At that point, so uh, keep those things in mind as we work through this. And so I'm trying to give some general direction without knowing the particulars. And as Hunter said earlier, if if this is one of your questions and I don't get to it or I don't give uh, clear enough direction, please come talk to us. We would love to talk to you more about it. But given what we have so far, here's what I would say: that. Uh, uh, almost everyone in this room has a difficult relationship. Don't raise your hand because it's probably the person sitting next to you, right? Uh, so here's what I would say. Thank God for that relationship because those are the relationships that cause us to grow, to grow in relation because if they were all easy, we wouldn't grow at all. And so I think sometimes God puts these in our lives to force us to grow. Uh, what I would challenge you with is not to do what our instincts tell us to do, which is you know fight, flight, or freeze, all those three. I have learned the older I've gotten, I've actually, I've actually looked forward to these. Like I press into them because I realize, hey, this is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity that if I can win this relationship, it's stronger for the long haul. And so press into them. And so here's what I, I would say. First of all, uh, talk with them. Explain to them how you feel, what you're experiencing. Uh, when you said this, this is what I got out of that. Am I reading that correctly? Be very clear with, with that person. Have a conversation with them. And then here's what I would say. Actively listen to the response. Find out where, where do they stand. And in that moment, what you're doing is you're making some judgment calls. Are there some things in you that you need to change? Maybe they are pointing something out. Maybe God is using them to show you something in your life that you haven't seen up till now. And this happens a lot, especially in married relationships, right? Uh, just just kind of don't, okay, let that one go. Again, don't raise your hand. Uh, we, we have um, people in our lives who will challenge us in our relations, and when they do that, it helps us to grow, and, and we miss out if we just run away from it. And so listen to what they're having to say. Really take it as feedback, and then you have to weigh it out. I would say this, sort through whatever you're feeling in that moment, and if it's more than one issue, I would say make an agreement that you're going to start working on at least one at a time, all right? Because sometimes this is years in the making, and they'll just dump on you and give you 20 different things, which at that point, you pretty much throw your hands up and walk away from it. Don't do that. Pick one thing out and make an agreement that you're going to start working on it if it's something that you need to work on. Now, here's the other thing I would say. You have to either uh, answer them or dismiss them. Those are the two options. And I would say dismiss as a, as a last resort, okay? But I have been in situations where I've had to decide that dismiss was the best option because it was one of the ones I was talking about earlier. It, it was uh, somebody who was overly critical or overly needy or a manipulator or whatever, and you had to make that decision like, okay, I hear what you're saying. Thank you very much for your input, and you have to walk away from it and dismiss it. 
because it's not helping you grow. Uh, because the bottom line is this, we can, please, uh, we can please God. That's our whole goal. Titus covered that earlier. Our goal here is as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So our goal is to please God, but you can't please all people. You can't do it. Uh, Romans 12, 17 and 18 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you have to do what you can do. One of the cool things that uh, my wife's first principal that she worked under said to her is that it was chicken and bones. Uh, and every complaint and every argument, there's always chicken, there's always meat that you can take away from it, and then there's bones that you need to throw away. Uh, and you, it's up to you to kind of decipher and, and figure out what parts are the meat and what part are the bones that you need to throw away. That's a great, I like that. My dad used to always tell me too, every conversation, every meeting you walk into, you have to pretend as though there's fumes in the air and you either walk in with a fire extinguisher in your hand or with a can of gasoline and a match. So it's up to you. Uh, so moving on, uh, next question goes to Mike. He's going to kick us off. This is the one we're going to kind of wrap things up in. Um, it, it's, it's a difficult one. So he's going to kind of set the tone and then we're going to talk about it just a little bit. I don't know what's going to come out on this one. So this should be kind of fun. Uh, the sixth question that we got is, what am I supposed to do when my spouse and I are in different places spiritually? And we got a lot of questions on this one. So fire extinguisher and a gas, a can of gasoline? All right. Uh, yeah, which one are we bringing? No, let me, let me take a different tact on it. Um, you know, first of all, when you, when you become a believer, um, it's an exciting time, Right. Uh, you suddenly, it's like your eyes are open and you're excited and you want to share your faith with anyone, right? So if you're married at that point and you're, you, the two of you were married and you, you weren't believers to begin with and now you are, you're going to find yourself in a, in a complicated, awkward place um, because your spouse isn't going to be able to necessarily share that incredible thing that's happening in your life. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I mean, this is a hard one. Um, those of you who, who are going through this right now, or you and your spouse are in different places, I, I can't sugarcoat it. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be lonely. There's going to be some tough things in it. Um, but understand that, that there can also be joy over time, that you still love that person, and you have to continue to do that. Um, I, I've had a couple great ladies in my life. Um, they're both right now in their early 70s. Uh, one's my mother-in-law. My father-in-law is not a believer, although he's an awesome guy. He just hasn't chosen to do that. And there's another lady that um, has just been a, a great partner for me in ministry over many years. And she also, her husband, was not a believer. And I have learned so much from the two of them just watching them and, and watching them go through things. Um, so let me just give you, a, I'm going to give you six quick pieces of advice, and then we'll kind of open this up. Um, the first one is pray for your spouse. Pray for him. When you get the opportunity, pray with them, but just be praying for them. And like I think, uh, I can't remember who was, who was saying it, maybe it was Ryan earlier, you're not praying that God's going to change their, this person's mind. You're praying that God's going to continue to put people in their path, that there can be more and more conversations, that, that they will, over time, through a cloud of witnesses, see the incredible thing that happens when you follow Jesus. Uh, two, continue to grow in your own faith. Um, make sure that you can be an excellent witness. Um, Don shared that verse from, from Romans 12. 
be at peace the best you can. Be a giver of grace, a giver of forgiveness. And then when you screw up, because your spouse is going to know it, I mean, they're the person that you're the most authentic with. When you screw up, immediately, as soon as you can, own up to what you did, fess up to it, and ask for forgiveness. Because that is a huge witness over time, that you're really walking the walk. Um, number three, love your spouse. Seek what's best for them at all times. Do all that you can to live with peace with them. Four, realize that you may not be the one that actually gets to lead them to Christ. You may have the chance to have some spiritual conversations, and you may not. Um, and just know that you may not be the one to lead them, and be okay with that. It's hard. You're going to be one of the people that, that obviously talks to them, but it may be somebody else. And in the case of my, my friend, um, her husband um, was adamantly opposed to Christ for a long time. And he, he, just before he died, he had a conversation with somebody who had known for years and then decided to give his life to Christ. Um, that may happen in your situation, it may not, but my friend knew that she probably wasn't going to be the one to have that conversation because there was just too much pride in things. So be ready for that. As Titus said, also, number, number five, don't be surprised if your spouse who's an unbeliever asks, acts like an unbeliever, right? Uh, expect that. Be willing to give them grace and forgiveness. And then number six, surround yourself with godly people. Continue to grow by having people around you that you can share that intimate part of your life, that spiritual growth you're going to, and the excitement and the joy and the hope that Christ is giving. So be in a life group. Be in Bible studies. Find others that you can spend time with so that you'll continue to be refreshed and that you can share your faith with. I want to speak to the singles just for a minute because we get this all the time. I know Hunter does in youth. Uh, well, what about, you know, I really like him or I really like her, but they're not a Christian. And, and uh, Scripture is very clear about that. And um, guys, girls in the room that are single, I would say this. If you're dating somebody who is not a believer, uh, I would just simply ask you to do this. Uh, we have plenty of people in this church who are married to non-believers. Go talk to several of them first before you make any decisions. And I promise you, it's, it's going to change your mind. Uh, because there is, and we've talked, talked about this, and we have a marriage series starting here in a couple of weeks that we want you back for. We're going to cover this extensively in that series. But there is a level of intimacy that comes within a, a couple who is lined spiritually together that you can't find in any other relationship. And you're going to miss out on a whole, whole point of marriage that God designed and created for us to enjoy that you will not be able to experience in, in a relationship with a non-believer. And I know that sounds really harsh, but I just don't want to be very clear about that. Mike, I feel like when we were discussing this in, in prep for today that you were, you were talking a little bit about um, making God your spouse. Can you speak yeah. to that a little bit? Yeah, so if... If you don't have that relationship with somebody, and this can, uh, this can be people who are, we, we use the term unequally yoked out of the Bible, people who are married with somebody who's not a believer, but it can also be somebody who's single, somebody who's a widow, um, where you don't have that level of intimacy with a human that also is based on spiritual stuff. Um, my recommendation is, it sounds a little odd, but make God your spouse. Enjoy your time with, with God. And Share everything with Jesus through prayer, just be in constant communication, and let that part of your life that you're maybe missing be filled more and more with God. Uh, 
Mike, we've we've gotten a couple of questions in on uh, what I would just kind of consider an extreme scale um, towards what you were just talking about. So I don't I don't want to say it out loud, but um, I mean we we even talked about this a little bit. Um, are what do you do in extreme cases when your spouse has either done something to your family, abused the family? is preventing you from coming to church, is preventing you from having that relationship with God. What what would be your response to do that? Because I don't want to answer that. I'm 28. I don't know. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, ask, ask Mike anything. Yeah, thanks. Um, abuse is a totally different thing. You know, if your spouse is abusing you, if you're not safe, you got to get to a place that's safe first. Um, so that that's the first thing. So I don't know exactly what the level of question is, but you know, if it's an abuse situation, you do need to go ahead and, and peel away and get help and and have somebody help you step through that. Um, if it's in the case of you know the spouse has done something, um, you know, like like an affair, for instance, or something really horrible, um, that that is something again you got to walk through. Um, I don't think we have time to walk through that completely, but if you're, you're facing that, please come talk to one of us, and we'll kind of help you through that. Um, there's a level of trust, obviously, it's eroded that that you got to to still work through. Again, don't be surprised when your unbelieving spouse acts like an unbeliever. Um, and then, you guys got something else there? I do. Um, Don read it earlier, and I think it's quite poignant um, in Romans 12, 17, and 18. 18 clearly says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So there's there's two things here. Um, it says, if it is possible. So that means sometimes there's not a possibility, right? So the alternative is that, that it might, this might not work. But then there's the other half of it, as far as it depends on you. So in regards to abuse, Mike is absolutely right. You need to get, you need to remove from that clearly um, and then and then the steps that would ensue after that then that's something that of course hopefully um, you're, you're finding a Christian counselor or somebody in that in that regard who can help work through that situation um, that you would be able to take steps accordingly same with the um, whether it's infidelity uh, that we that we are we are responsible to a degree that as far as it depends on us so again that's another person presumably an unbeliever um, hopefully it's not a believer who's who's doing those things, um, but we are all human at the end of the day, um, but that we should be able to say, you know what, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to continue to pray for this person. I'm going to continue to surround myself who will, with others who will do the same, and I'm, and again, making God our spouse, that, that our identity is in, is in God, and that, and that is our priority one, that we're spending um, the vast majority of our time with God, so that when these things, these, these storms come in, that we're able to through discernment, be able to figure out how we can um, tackle those situations. Um, one, one final thing, and then I'll shut up. Um, there's, there's been a lot of questions that have come in, and a lot of these are uh, very personal. Um, and obviously, our goal here was to kind of answer questions so everybody has answers. If you've got a very specific circumstance going on, please come talk to one of the pastors. It is not... I'm, this is a this is a this isn't a job for us. This is we we invest in you as people. Our 
we love you guys. So calling us on the phone, taking up our time, that's, that's what we're here to do. Doing that is far more important than, than doing office work for any of us. Um, so please, if you're, if you're struggling with something, this can be in any time of the week, any day of the month, any kind of point in the year. If you've got something going on and need to talk to somebody, please come, come talk to one of the pastors. We're not, we're not so busy that we can't help you through a situation that you need. I would also say somebody mentioned just just leaving leaving an abusive relationship being a dangerous thing, and in all honesty, Don's experience as a state trooper, I would lean into that if you're in that situation and you need some advice or counsel on steps to take and how to do that carefully. Um, Don's your guy, okay, and um, just just to throw that out there, and the second thing would be just to quickly address. I know we've been talking about spouses that are, say, you know, one is saved and one is unsaved, but there's often a reality where both spouses are Christians, and just one is in a very different place spiritually than the other, and just realize that there's a lot of grace and patience and prayer and self-reflection and and space that needs to to come into a scenario like that um, to to be the most helpful. If you're expecting your spouse to be where you're at and to be reaching some kind of pinnacle that you're headed for and they're not, you've got to fight that temptation to be to berate them for that or to or to lord that over them or to to be impatient with that process. Again, like we were talking about last week, that's above your pay grade. That's, that's the Holy Spirit that's going to be working in your spouse's heart and life to, to grow them. You can be part of that process in being a blessing and demonstrating grace and patience and love in the midst of that. And one very last quick thing, you know, we said um, come to the pastors, definitely do that. But just as Titus said earlier, we are a church of priests. Um, there's a lot of people who have incredible godly wisdom that's available. And so you don't just have to come to a pastor. You know, we should be helping each other through all of this. The one thing I'd say about seeking counsel, make sure it's, it's godly counsel. And the way you're going to know that is if the person can actually open up God's word and show you how they're deriving the advice they're giving you, where it comes from. If they can't do that, it's, it's good sounding knowledge and it, it sounds awesome, but they can't defend it. It's probably not biblical. Okay or it may not be, so go check it out. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.